Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man who makes sure that he drinks eight glasses of water a day once they've been brewed properly. <laughs> That's right. That's Dale. Got to do a little hops and stuff in there. Yeah, you got to turn it into beer. Yeah. Just open the can and give it to me. Yeah. Can or pop a top. Pop a top, pop a top. What's going on, man? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Doing, a, doing an episode. Doing a thing, man. Doing a thing. And I'll tell you what. I'm enjoying these new boom mics. Yes. Boom mics. Boom mics. <laughs> boom mic stands? Boom mics. They are nice. They are nice. Yeah. Very well, professional. I got my pinky up over here and everything. We're all stuff. <laughs> SpongeBob would be proud. <laughs> you holding your pinky up when you drink a beer? Yeah, up high. Yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> Lord, ass, what's yeah. going on today? We got a episode today we're going to do. Okay. But That's the, why I'm here. Before we get into that, I need to apologize to all of our YouTube listeners. Listeners. Speaking of, we have over a, a thousand uh subscribers now appreciate that that is just awesome dude no doubt yep but let me apologize to our youtube listeners the brian dugan episode serial killer brian dugan something happened in the process of rendering that video and it got cut short somehow or another i'm not sure exactly what happened but i will replace that file and get it straightened out yeah that would be episode 115 serial killer brian dugan yes but i will get that taken care of i'm Appreciate some listeners pointing that out to us. Heck yeah. We really appreciate that. Anytime anything's going a little screwy, please let us know. We'll get it fixed up for you as quick as we can. Yeah, technology's great, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It just, it sucks sometimes. Yeah, we, you know, we got over 92,000 views on there. Man. 92,000. Just on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, that's killer. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So y'all thousand folks is busy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Actually, it's over a thousand. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate everybody. Thank you. Thank you very much. We appreciate everybody who listens anyway in every way. But Dale, this week we've got a pretty interesting episode, something me and you've been throwing back and forth that we've been wanting to cover for a while. Right. And this is a true crime story, but with a... little twist. Yeah, a little twist. It's a little old story, and I think a lot of people will recognize this when we get into it. Yeah, you guys don't know nothing about no Fred Kirby, though. No, not, not a Fred, Kirby, <laughs> Fred Kirby and... Uncle Jim. Uncle Jim. That's a local thing here in North Carolina. It was right. Back in our younger days. Back in our days, we'd come home and flip it on, and Fred Kirby would be whooping out some Our Gang. Yeah, Our Gang and the Little Rascals. The Little Rascals. Yeah. We loved the Little Rascals. Yep. But that's I ain't going to sing the whole song. No, but that's just a local thing here. <laughs> but this uh, has to do with the Little Rascals and Our Gang. That's right. Yep. But we're talking about Carl Dean Schweitzer. Schweitzer. Yeah. It was better known as Alfalfa. That's right. But he didn't get his name Alfalfa until a little bit later. A little bit later. But we're going to get into Carl <laughs> Dean Schweitzer. You got it while he's table dancing, I think. There, so. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Carl Dean Schweitzer was born in Paris, Illinois. P- 
Paris. Paris. Yeah. It's not Paris, France, but Paris, Illinois. Right. And he was the youngest of four kids that was born to Gladys Carey Shanks and George Frederick Switzer. I think uh, he went by Fred. Yeah, Fred for short. Yeah. Frederick was too fancy. Yep. But he, like I said, <laughs> he was the youngest of four kids, and the oldest brother had died in 1922. Hmm. They had a sister named Janice who was born in 1923. And a brother, Harold, who was born in 1925. Yeah. Uh, Carl was born in 27. So, okay. Yeah. Just to put that out there. Yep. He was actually born on August 8th, 1927. Could you being all fancy. Yeah. <laughs> but Alfalfa got his name, Carl Dean, after a member of the Switzer family and many relatives on his grandmother's side. And he and his brother, Harold kind of became famous in their hometown for their musical abilities and performances they did. It was uh, famous in Paris, wasn't it? Yeah. They would sing songs and could play a lot of instruments, what had been told. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, we're moving just a little bit ahead to 1934. 34. Yep. And this is when the Switzers, the Switzer family, they took a trip to California. And they, I think out there they were going to visit some family. And Did somebody say... California is a place you ought to be. Yeah, California. <laughs> but while they were sightseeing, they went to Hal Roach Studios. Mm. This is where our gang was being filmed. That's right. And following a public tour, eight-year-old Harold and six-year-old Carl, they entered the Hal Roach Studios, which was open to the public. Yeah, it was the cafeteria. Like, yeah, it was like an Our Gang Cafe, I think. Yeah. And then, you know, they'd go in there and even people, performers and all kinds of stuff would actually be in there, which mm-hmm. would be pretty cool. Yep. And they began a, a kind of an impromptu performance. Mm-hmm. I think they hopped up on the table, went to singing and dancing. Didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah. And producer Hal Roach. Just happened to be in there with me. Yeah. And was quite impressed, Dale. Mm-hmm. You know, it says impromptu, but yeah, I believe uh, Mama has probably had a little yeah. more get your ass on that table and start singing. This is our, this is our big <laughs> shot our right here. right here. Yeah. yeah. But um, Hal Roach was in there, and he was, he was impressed with them. Yeah, he was. And he signed both of the boys to appear on Our Gang. He nicknamed uh, Harold Deadpan, which I don't really remember him a lot. He maybe had a smaller part, and, mm-hmm. and then he dubbed Carl Alfalfa. So that's where Alfalfa, yeah. Carl got his name, Alfalfa. Right there on the table. Yep, singing and dancing. <laughs> singing and dancing. And the brother, I mean, a lot of people probably didn't know that Alfalfa had a brother that played on there. Right. But he, he had smaller roles, and I think he was just sort of in the background a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the brothers first appeared in 1935, our gang short called Beginner's Luck. And by the end of the year, Alfalfa was one of the main characters on our gang. He kind of took it over, man. Yeah. While Harold, he'd sort of been, like we said, put in the background. I yeah. guess just extra kind of thing. Yeah. Which might have been a little bit better for him. Yeah. Yeah. In the long run. Yeah, in the long run, yeah. But Alfalfa, you know, he was an experienced singer and musician and uh, was often called upon to sing off key. Yeah, which they said was really hard for him because he was such a good singer. Mm-hmm. To, to screw up on purpose was not easy. Yeah. But he would often sing Bing Crosby and and just have a good time with that. Yep. Now, by the end of 1937... I wonder uh, who come up with the idea to have the, the big cowlick. I don't know. I never 
or dead anywhere right. red dead anywhere yeah me neither i was i was kind of wondering about that i mean i'm sure it's not natural no it's not natural i mean even maybe had a small one or something and then they just really emphasized it or something could have i, I couldn't find out anything about that mm-hmm. anyway he said that was his personality boy his personality <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ain't that right uh-huh 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 <laughs> Now, by the end of 1937, Alfalfa had surpassed the series' normal star, which was Spanky. Spanky. Who was played by George McFarlane. Right. And uh, he surpassed him in popularity. Which is shocking to me. But the boys, they got along well. But get this, their dads didn't. Right. Mm-mm. Ain't that something? Yep. Now, the fathers of Alfalfa and Spanky, they argued constantly mm-hmm. over their boys' screen time and salaries. Crazy. Yeah. Because Alfalfa was the breadwinner of his family. Yeah. It's pretty sad. He was the only one working in the family. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my Harold was getting paid, too, but probably not as much as Alfalfa. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. But, yeah, the boys were... Making all the money, and the parents were just hanging out at the studio. <laughs> yeah, bitching at each other. Yeah, and they said that uh, they wouldn't have the parents on, on set. No, they wouldn't have them on set because... Uh, well, you know, it'd be just like a mom on the baseball field or something. Kind of. Know, out there screaming and stuff. They only got the parents when the the kids would act up or something or get out of control and said, right. go get the parents. Right. But yeah, they just kept them off to the side. Alfalfa's best friend on the show, believe it or not, was Tommy Bond. Who played Butch? Yeah. Now you on the show they were like enemies. Right, yeah, rivals. But they were actually best friends in real life. Yeah, Butch was the, the tough guy. Yeah, and he and Alfalfa became good friends, and because it was quoted as saying that neither of us could replace the other since we played opposites. Right. And Alfalfa was known for being abrasive and difficult on the set, and he would sometimes play cruel jokes on other actors and. Hold up the filming with his little crazy antics. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff he did. They said it would uh, piss off a lot of people. Like, you know, they had those real hot light bulbs around the front of the stage and around stuff, and he would uh, pee on them. And then when they turn on the lights and it'd get hot, just be stench. Yeah. And I don't know if he pee peed in them or if he cut and poured or however he did it. But anyway, the pee got on the light and the light got hot and, and the room stank. Knowing Alfalfa, he probably just peed on him. <laughs> yeah, probably. And says so one time that he put some fish hooks in Spanky's pants pocket, back, back pants pockets, and it cut him and he had to get stitches. Yeah. Yeah, and then, then even uh, Darla was really afraid of him. Yeah. Uh, even though they were romantic on screen, she was really kind of afraid of him, you know, and said it was even said that at one time one of the cameramen had uh, went to Carl and told him, and, uh, when you turn 21, how about I come back down here and see me? He goes, why would I do that? He goes, that, when you get 21, I can beat the shit out of you. Because <laughs> yeah. a lot of them antics, you know, were like one time when he peed on the lights, he did it a lot, and they busted stuff, so they had to shut down filming for a while. And any time they shut down, nobody was getting paid then. So yeah. they were he was acting up, and nobody's, you know, the the crew and the production people weren't getting paid, so they were getting tired of his stuff. Yeah, he was cutting, causing everything to be shut down. Right. Yeah. Crazy. Now, but I, I guess if you're the big bringing in the money, mom and dad ain't going to bust that butt or nothing no. or, or yell at you or anything else if you're bringing the money in. So he probably got away with a lot of stuff he shouldn't have. I'm sure he did. Now, Alfalfa's time on Our Gang ended in 1940 when he was 12 years old. And his first role after leaving the series was as a Boy Scout in I Love You Again. And it was in 1940 starring William Powell and... Myrna Loy, and he then starred in the 1941 comedy Regular Fellers, hmm. 
And the next year, he had a supporting role in Mrs. Wiggs of the Cabbage Patch. And Alfalfa continued to appear in a lot of various films and supporting roles, including Johnny Doughboy, which was in 1942, Going My Way in 1944. I think i seen that movie, hmm. but I don't remember him being in it. Right. The Great Mike, which was 1944. And Alfalfa had an un unaccredited role as Augie in the 1943 film The Human Comedy. I think he had several unaccredited roles and really it was probably hard for him to get a really good role because you know like most child stars you kind of get cast typed cast typed or you know locked into that you're, you're alfalfa you're no longer Carl you know so mm -hmm. it's kind of hard be like kind of like Gary Coleman you know trying to get a, a different role yeah. doing different, different strokes all those years. Now he did reprise his alfalfa character complete with uh, comically sour voices in the PRC's Gas House Kids. It was a comedy series in 1946 and 47. And by this time, Alfalfa was downplaying his earlier Our Gang work in his resume. And he would just put down that he was just in MGM's shorts. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah, he would he sort of played it off. Yeah, he's probably getting tired of being Alfalfa. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Right. But we're just going to, we're going to call him Alfalfa through the rest of the story. Yeah, it's easier for us. Yeah, because he's Alfalfa. Yeah. Now, Alfalfa did have some small parts in both the 1946 Christmas film, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. And he was actually Donna Reed's date at the high school dance. I don't know. I've never, never seen it. I've seen it. <laughs> Probably and, the only one that's never seen yeah. it. And in 1948 film, On Our Merry Way, as the mayor's son... And in 1952, he played a busboy in the film Pat and Mike, starring Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. So, so some big productions, you know, with just very small parts. Big names he's uh, right. acting with, but no leading roles at all. Right. And he was also in the 1954 musical film White Christmas. And his photo was used to depict freckle-faced Haynes. And... Right, well, so was he in it, or it was just his photo? It was just his photo. Right, right. Yeah. The Actually, it was Freckle-Faced Haynes, the dog-faced boy, which is an <laughs> army buddy of lead characters, Wallace and Davis, played by Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. Yeah, right, so still got big names, but, you know. Yeah, he was, wasn't getting the parts, man. Right. So in the 1950s, Alfalfa turned to television, and between 1952 and 1955, he made six appearances on the Roy Rogers show. Roy Rogers. Now, Roy Rogers is going to come into play a little bit later. And he also guest starred in an episode of American Science Fiction Anthology series, Science Fiction Theater, and the George Burns and Gracie Allen show. And in 1953 and 54, Alfalfa starred in three William A. Wellman-directed films, Island in the Sky and The High and the Mighty, starring John Wayne. And Robert Mitchum. Yeah. So that's more big names yeah. he's with. He's hanging out with some good people, but he just ain't getting the big parts. Yep. And Alfalfa's final film role was in 1958 drama, The Defiant Ones. Right. And that was, well, he was also in uh, Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments. Yeah. You know, he played a Hebrew slave as another small part. Mm -hmm. But uh, Cecil B. DeMille, that name will pop up later as well. Yeah. Now, besides acting, Alfalfa got into breeding and training hunting dogs mm -hmm. and guided hunting exposi expeditions. It's easy for you to say. Yeah, expeditions. <laughs> and well, she was pretty, must have been uh, pretty damn good at it. Yeah. 
Now, among his notable clients were Roy Rogers and Dale Evans. Mm-hmm. And they were actually his son's godparents. Right. Which will be coming later on. Yep. Now, we're going to get into a little bit of alfalfa. Also, uh, Jimmy Stewart and Henry Fonda was also clients. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Now, just a little bit of Alfalfa's personal life. In early 1954, he went on a blind date with a woman named Diantha Collinwood. Diantha. I like yes. that name. It's cool. But she was also known as Diane or Diana. Yeah. But her, her real name was Diantha. And she was the daughter of Leo and Faye Collinwood and the heiress of a grain elevator empire, Collinwood Grain. Hmm. So he was... That getting, sounds fancy on a grain elevator empire. Yeah, getting into some money. Yeah. Now, Collinwood had moved with her mother and sister to California in 1953 because her sister wanted to become an actress. And Alfalfa and Diana Collinwood got along well and married in Las Vegas three months later. And in 1956, with his money running out and Diane pregnant, his mother-in-law offered them a farm near Pretty Prairie, Kansas. Pretty Prairie. Yep. And they had a son. Was His name was Justin Lance Collinwood Switzer. And he was born... With them four name boys. Yeah, four names. <laughs> and he was born that year they were married. And they divorced in 1957. And Diane married a man named Richard Roswell Elridge. Right. But I think everybody called him Ross. Ross, yeah. And I've never, many talked about this, but I couldn't find anything on it. But it said that Ross had adopted and raised Lance. This was Alfalfa and Diane's son as his own. Right. So Alfalfa, he must have signed over parental rights to him somewhere yeah. along the way. And, you know, he wasn't very old. Mm-mm. I mean, he wasn't even a year old, was he? That's, that's probably about right. Yeah. And Diane and uh, Ross, they had two other children. Uh, Chris and Lee Elridge. Right. Now, I'm just going to go a little bit ahead right here, and then we're going to go back to where we were. But huh? yeah. it was stated in 1987. This was uh, a quote from Our Gang co-star Spanky, who was played by George McFarlane. He recalled a meeting with Alfalfa when they spoke about the farm. Mm-hmm. And Spanky was quoted as saying the last time he saw Alfalfa was in 1957, and it was pretty tough for me and him. I was starting a tour of theme parks and county fairs in the Midwest. Alfalfa married this girl whose father owned a pretty good-sized farm near Wichita. When I came through town, he heard about it and called. He told me he was helping to run the farm, but he finally had to put on a radio and tractor while he was there plowing. Knowing Alfalfa... I knew that wasn't going to last. He may have come from Paris, Illinois, but he wasn't a farmer. That's what Spanky was saying. Right. They hadn't seen each other since they left the Little Rascals. Right. So they had lunch. We talked about the things you'd expect, you know, and I never saw him again. He looked pretty much the same, according to Spanky. He was just alfalfa, kind of cocky, a little antsy, and I thought to myself, he hadn't changed that much. He still talked big. He just grew up. Hmm. So really, according to Spanky, he was just the same kid, just taller. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, well, you think about this, dude. I mean, they go from top of the world, both of these kids, and then all of a sudden you're out of work. You're working on a farm. 
Spanky's doing tour of the county fairs and theme parks, just yeah. making appearances and stuff. So it's a pretty big fall if you think about it from from where they where they were. Well, I'm sure Spanky was typecast a little bit too. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So all, all of them probably. Yeah, but at least he was making money. He was working and, and still doing that. profiting off of it because right. they didn't get paid anything, any residuals at all. Mm. When they no. were, were they were doing this uh, little rascals hour gang stuff. No. Mm-mm. So now getting back to where we were in January of 1958, Alfalfa was getting into his car in front of a bar in Studio City, Hollywood, mm-hmm. when a bullet smashed through the window and struck him in the upper arm. Crazy. The gunman was never caught, mm. and later that December, Alfalfa was arrested in Sequoia National Forest for cutting down. 15 pine trees he intended to sell illegally as Christmas Christmas trees. trees. Yeah, Christmas trees. And he was sentenced to one year's probation. And he was also ordered to pay a $225 fine, which is about $2,100 today. So that's a pretty steep little fine for sequoia trees. Well, he shouldn't have been cutting down them trees. No, basically it wasn't his. Sequoia National Forest. Yeah, exactly. Now... Alfalfa, he was getting into some legal and financial problems, Dale. Yep. And he went back to what he knew. He started to train hunting dogs. And he was training a treeing walker coonhound for a guy named Moses Samuel Stilts, who went by Bud. 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 (laughs) Now, Bud, he was a longtime friend and sometimes business partner who Alfalfa had met while working with Roy Rogers on various productions at the Corriganville Movie Ranch. And while in Alfalfa's possession, the dog ran off. He was trying to chase a bear, I believe. Yeah. And Bud Stilts was pretty unsympathetic about this. He didn't care. Right. Towards Alfalfa. He says, you either bring me my dog or bring me some money to equip up to the value of the dog. Yeah. I don't care what happened. But Alfalfa was unable to to produce any cash to settle the debt. Mm-hmm. And he took out ads in newspapers and put up flyers and doing everything he could, offering rewards for the safe return of the dog. Mm-hmm. But eventually the dog was located and brought to the bar where Alfalfa was working at the time. So now he's working as a bartender as well. Yes. Mm. And the rescuer, whoever found the dog, was rewarded with uh, $35 in cash. Big time. And a, and a bar tab of 15 bucks so he had a credit of 15 dollars at the bar if you think about it, it's about 450 dollars total yeah maybe a little more today yeah it's pretty good for buying a dog <laughs> yeah but alfalfa had lost 50 bucks and it didn't sit too well for him right and during this emotional conversation with his 37 year old uh, friend jack pyatt that took place a few days later the two decided that Still should uh, reimburse Alfalfa for the finder's fee. Yeah, I'm sure they were sitting around having a few drinks and decided that I got shit. <laughs> yeah. Now, their argument was that the dog was Bud Stilts and not Alfalfa's. And the, the two soon arrived at Bud Stilts' home in Mission Hills. Yeah, they decided they're going to go get their money back right now. Yep. And the address was 10400 Columbus Avenue, if anybody wants to check it out, Google Map it and check it out. <clears throat> Now, Bud Stilts shared the home with his wife, Rita Corrigan, and his stepchildren. And Alfalfa and Pyatt, they intended 
to get the money from Bud Steele somehow. Mm-hmm. And there's different accounts of this event. and Several. But, and I'll agree that Bud Stilts was struck over the left side of his head with a glass clock. Yeah, one of those glass-domed clocks. Yeah. And he later retreated to his room and retrieved a thirty-eight caliber revolver, which Alfalfa, they said, wrestled him for it. And them getting into a struggle caused the gun to fire and almost shoot Tom Corrigan, who was Bud Stilts' 14-year-old stepson. Right. Now, another version of that is they came in violently wanting their money back and alfalfa had a hunting knife and that's when he went and got the gun that's one account of it right yeah. so it's a lot of different weird things going on here yeah but yeah bud Stilt's account of the event was one of self-defense and he's testifying that alfalfa had banged on his front door yelling let me in or i'll kick the door in right and the threat was followed by a struggle that began with one of the men uh, either alfalfa or Pyatt, striking Bud Stilts with the clock, like we said. Mm-hmm. This prompted Bud Stilts to re- go get his firearm, which Alfalfa grabbed for, and the, the gun discharged accidentally. And Alfalfa then, according to Bud Stilts, threatened him with a knife. Right. Now, one of the one of the uh, versions was they were wrestling for the gun, and it went off and shot into the ceiling, but some of it splintered off into fragments and hit the kid. I'd heard that, too. So I don't know why it happened, really. Yeah. Okay. But according to Bud Stilts, um, he was getting threatened with a knife and yelled, I'm going to kill you. And Bud Stilts fired and shot Alfalfa in the groin, damaging an artery and caused massive internal bleeding. And Alfalfa was dead when he arrived at the hospital. Damn. Yeah. Now, Tom Corrigan, he was a 14-year-old. His account differed significantly from his stepfather's. Now, he told investigators that Bud Stilts shot Alfalfa as he and Pyatt were leaving after the gun accidentally discharged that almost hit 14-year-old Tom Corrigan. Mm -hmm. And Alfalfa, according to Corrigan, had a moment of clarity about the situation. He turned to Pyatt and said they needed to leave. The two were headed for the door when Bud Stilts then fired the fatal shot. Alfalfa never drew a knife as Bud Stilts claimed he had. Right. But Tom Corrigan was never called to testify at the coroner's inquest. You know, and even uh, in the the real story or whatever, when they came in and found Alfalfa and the guy was saying that he pulled a knife on him and when he got the gun and bought her and shot him, they picked him up and found out it was actually just like a, a pen knife, I believe. Yeah. And it wasn't even open. Yeah. And when... Uh, crime scene investigators came in it was actually under his body yeah so this dude was lying the whole time mm-hmm. right this bud stilts yeah yeah but now the shooting was judged to be self-defense and during the inquest regarding alfalfa's death it was revealed it was reported as a hunting knife was in fact like dale said a pen knife right and it'd been found by the crime scene investigators under his body unopened, uh, unopened yeah now over 42 years later, on January the 25th of 2001, Tom Corrigan, the 14-year-old at the time of the killing of Alfalfa, came forward. He was a grown man at this time. He, like Tom Corrigan, he was the son of Western movie star Ray Crash Corrigan and stepson of Bud Stills. He was the 14-year-old, like we said, who was present the night Alfalfa was killed. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that it was more like a murder. Uh, Tom Corrigan told reporters... 
he had heard a knock at the front door, and Alfalfa said, Western Union for Bud Stills. So there he's contradicting the, the other guy saying that they was beating on the door, said they want their money now and all this craziness, right? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. And Corrigan's mother, Rita Corrigan, opened the door to find a drunk Alfalfa complaining about an old debt and demanding repayment. Now, Alfalfa entered the house first, followed by Jack Pyatt. And Alfalfa said he was going to beat up Bud Steele's. And Steele's confronted Alfalfa with a 38 caliber revolver in his hand. And Tom Corrigan said that Alfalfa grabbed the revolver from Bud Steele's, and Alfalfa struggled over it. He said Pyatt broke a glass dome clock over Stilts' head, causing Stilts' eye to swell shut. And during the struggle, a shot was fired into the ceiling, and Corrigan was struck in the leg by a fragment. Mm, okay. Now, during the struggle, the shot was fired in the ceiling, and Tom Corrigan was struck in the leg by a fragment. Corrigan said his two younger sisters ran to a neighbor's house to call for help. Yeah, after this, Corgan said his two younger sisters ran to the neighbors to call for help. And when this happened, Alfalfa was like, look, we, we already shot Tommy. That's enough of this. And he was trying to get himself and Pat out of the house. They were leaving. Mm-hmm. Corrigan said that he had just stepped out the front door when he heard the shot. It was the second shot because, you know, the first one went in the ceiling. Yeah. That's when he turned around and saw Alfalfa sliding down the wall with a surprised look on his face and still said shot him. Corgan said he saw the closed penknife by uh, – Alfalfa's side, which he presumed had either fell out of his pocket or out of his hand. He said he then saw his stepfather shove Pyatt against the kitchen counter and threaten to kill him, too. At this point, the emergency sirens were coming to where they could hear him, and Pyatt was begging for his life. And at this point, he said that uh, that is the only reason that Stills did not kill him, too. Man. So the Corgan said he and his stepfather actually lied the whole time, you know, before the coroner's jury back in the— you know when it happened yeah now why he waited 42 years later to tell this story which to me sounds like what really happened yeah that sounds more like it it would all make sense that other stuff was a bunch of made up yeah he just said all that to begin and bud stills did just to save his ass right once you know bud died in 83 so mm-hmm. this was way past then too so i guess he finally said to hell i'll just go ahead and tell what really happened now but yeah because this tom corgan he didn't gain anything from it so no. I mean, he, you know, I guess it made him feel better coming forward and telling the truth on it. Right. So these two dudes busting in his house, drunk, wanting their money, and this guy just said, hell, this, and he just blasted them. Yeah. Poor old Alfalfa. Yeah. Over $50. 50 bucks. Now, Alfalfa was buried at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery in Hollywood, California. And because he died the same day as Cecil B. DeMille, right. his death received only just a minor newspaper coverage and it's kind of like michael jackson fair positive yeah exactly yeah. same day you didn't really hear much about her and he got all the news yeah so it's basically that's like i said before that name pops back up you know because he got all the all the news media attention and alfalfa just kind of got shoved under the floor map and like we said too coincidentally alfalfa appeared as a slave in uncredited in the last film for which he uh demille was credited as a director Right. The Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, yep. So it's kind of, kind of coincidental there. That Alfalfa's gravestone features the square encompass of Freemasonry and an image of a hunting dog reflecting his dog training and guide interest at the time of his death. And a lot of people think that that dog was supposed to be uh, Petey, but it's not. Yeah, from the from Little the, Rascals yeah. show, yeah. But it's just a hunting dog. Yeah, one of his hunting dogs. Yeah. So it's a pretty sad ending to, uh, I mean, he had like... It's like he's, his flame was really bright when he's really young, and it just kind of 
was downhill from there. And Alfalfa was 31 at the time. 31 years old. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. But a bunch of those kids died fairly early, some of them in their 40s. And I think Darla was in her 40s. Mm-hmm. And uh, Buckwheat was in his 40s. I think she had hepatitis, and I'm not sure what happened to Buckwheat. Heart attack, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, several of them died pretty early. And even the, the original Petey the dog, somebody poisoned him. Yep. Which is pretty damn sad. <laughs> kind of pissed me off when I heard that. Yeah. But anyway, that's pretty much the story of Alfalfa. Yeah. A lot of people didn't know that Alfalfa was murdered, but yeah, it's her. Over $50. 50 bucks and a dog. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, I loved Alfalfa. He was probably a little, little hellion. He was. I bet he was. You can mm-hmm. see it in his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Plus, you know, back then he was, he was big stuff when he was. 10, 12 years old, and I'm sure he was, a, like you said, he was just causing all kind of trouble. Now, just to mention uh, his brother, Harold, he was uh, played deadpan on the Our Gang series. Yep. He died at the age of 42. Mm-hmm. I think he committed suicide. He sure did. Yep. He was married and had three kids. Pretty sad there, too. But he didn't do any uh, acting after Our Gang. He sort of um, stayed away from it. Yeah, it's pretty sad. He is buried beside of uh, his dad, who was also buried in the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. And then uh, Alfalfa is on the other side. Yep. But that's it. That is the story of Carl Dean Alfalfa Switzer. Carl Dean Alfalfa Switzer. Alfalfa. (laughs) All right, Dale. We are going to get out of here. All right, brother. Let's roll. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about... You. This is the Crack Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You've always had what it takes to make it happen, and we know the right tools can make it easier. At Strayer University, we're always thinking about new ways to set you up for success. That's why we give you a brand new laptop when you enroll in a bachelor's program, so you can start off on the right foot and keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Eligibility rules, restrictions, and exclusions apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.